Welcome back to Walking Away from Arcadia. Today, I'm here with Victor, and we are continuing our Metaplot series. Uh, the last one we did was on the Shattering, and today we're going to be talking about the very last section of history that is dealt with obliquely in random-ass references all the fuck over everything, the Interregnum. What happened in the Interregnum, Victor? It's only what 1200 common era to the 60s that's what 700 years i mean can you give me a remembrance roll and difficulty is 10 can you give me five successes then i might give you an answer maybe the books certainly don't yeah what happened in the interregnum who knows i i went diving for this episode and I read a lot of stuff that I had not read for the other episodes because when I started looking through the books, I could not find anything. The one book that does really a pretty good job of tackling the Interregnum is Fool's Luck. The Commoner's book has a decent Interregnum write-up. But if I'm honest, it's still only decent because while it's longer and more robust than the other interregnum write-ups I found, it still kind of falls into the format of let's talk about random moments in history between the Renaissance and the Resurgence that we think are cool and say, did changelings like this moment? And that's always the write-up format. Did they like the Roaring Twenties? Was the Depression really that bad? How was World War I? And there's a little bit of value there, but I think part of me was hoping quite foolishly that if I actually dove in and looked for all the interregnum write-ups, I would find some acknowledgement of what were the politics like? What did the courts actually look like during this period? How did the handful of sputtering freeholds communicate with each other? Was there a society? And really, you get... None of that. I could not really find anything. When I was mentioning this to Simon before we started recording, he brought up there's a little bit about the change in the courts in the she books when they're talking about the impulses. But that's more about Seely Unseely and what does it mean. So basically what happened during the Interregnum is go read a history book about 1500 to 1969, and that's what happened in the Interregnum. And what you imagine would be good for fairies or bad for fairies, you can use that because no two books agree on which moments were good for fairies and which moments were bad for fairies. It's mushier than the Mythic Age. Like I said in the intro, the Interregnum is the last truly undefined period in the Changeling metaplot. The, the Shattering has a fair amount said about it in comparison, and it's interesting to me because the Shattering is a year, a couple of years maybe, and Dreaming does this weird thing where it really likes giving dates for things, and you know, the Sundering is about 400 BCE to about 1200 common era pretty long time barely anything said about it the mythic age is everything before that pretty long time barely anything said about it the interregnum is about 700 years give or take 
pretty long time, barely anything said about it. And then you get The Shattering, which has a reasonable amount said for being kind of background material. And then you get The Resurgence War, huge amount said about it. And then kind of the dissolution of Concordia, fair amount said about that. And then you can kind of infer a lot from the modern world. But, I mean, if we're going all the way to today, that's the 60s to today. That's, what, 60 years? It is interesting to me that the vast majority of the words used in Changeling deal with the last 60 years, where I feel like other World of Darkness products have a lot to say about the time before now. Vampire has a number of source books that deal with different time periods. Werewolf, as much as I wasn't a huge fan of Werewolf Wild West, that exists. You know, Mage is not especially difficult to throw back in time, but they also have Sorcerer's Crusade. Changeling is remarkably ahistorical. Well, and it's funny that you mention that because one of the books, when I was looking through the reading guide that I put together, because at the beginning of this project, I just went through and went, which pages have very clear content on these topics? And, you know, we're releasing a reading guide with this. I was looking back over that. And I saw that Isle of the Mighty had several pages on this period that I had written down. I went, okay, I'll go read Isle of the Mighty. That section is entirely mage. That's all about the Order of Reason, which Isle of Mighty is a mage changeling crossover book. So no shade about that. But I read it and I realized that there's actually more text in the changeling line in Isle of the Mighty about the societies and social structures and specific political events for mage in this era than there is for changeling. Well, that's like rage across Appalachia. Like I remember Uh. reading that and being like a werewolf changeling crossover. Like this is something that really needs to exist because, oh my God, do they have a lot in common, at least like superficially. And it's a werewolf book where somebody appended some of the old Changeling the Dreaming Player's Guide on the end, and they don't have anything at all to do with each other. Yeah, I mean, it's... I would say Isle of the Mighty does a better job of merging the two things, but it is a similar phenomenon. So the interregnum, which means the pause, is the whole period of time between when the she leave during the shattering and their cowardly fleeing of the world, which is how it's generally depicted. It's even kind of depicted that way in some of the she books. Less so, but it kind of reads like, we're not going to acknowledge how awful this was. But all the commoner books pretty much call them out on being total cowards for it. Even when I read the Troll Kith book, because I dove into the Kith books for this one, the trolls were like, no, the she were total cowards. They, they were cowards. I was impressed to see that in a troll book, actually. You know, the she leave, and originally the interregnum was this long period where the commoners ruled everything. And then pretty early in first edition in The Shining Host, they introduced the Skaha, but they don't like fully flesh out the whole Skaha interregnum thing. And then I think the first time I saw the Skaha, and the fact that they stayed during the Interregnum and were different from the other she really clearly invoked was Book of Houses 2. It's 
kind of vaguely mentioned in the Liam chapter of Book of Houses 1, but it's not really obvious what you're reading. It's very distinct in the Balor chapter of Book of Houses 2. And so it's clear they stayed behind. Then I got to the actual Skaha write-up in the third Book of Houses, Book of Lost Houses. There's one paragraph on the interregnum, and it is the copy-pasta interregnum description text from every other book. And I was like, this is the one house that stayed. Like, Liam stayed even in their original write-up, but, like, for weird reasons, and they died out originally, and then somehow we're back during the resurgence. Like, they didn't become commoners and reincarnate, but stuck around, and, like, we're not going to resolve that until C20. So, okay, at most we have these two houses. Neither of them really do that much with the interregnum. The one sort of changeling political theme that I did see come up a lot were the commoners picking up the mantle of leadership. But what that means varies from book to book. Sometimes it's noble commoners taking up the role of the she and claiming title and running things in the old feudal manner. Sometimes it's, well, we don't have any leaders, so let's be egalitarian. What does that mean? And it's always just a sentence. Like, they never actually paint a picture. And I think maybe in the early books, the Interregnum wasn't meant to be playable. But it's such a great period to actually play. Does anything jump out to you, Simon, in terms of the actual, like, politics and society and anything you can think of that paints some of that for you that maybe I missed? The thing that got me about Skaha's Interregnum write-up was that they do this weird like have their cake and eat it too thing where they mention that they're still around during the interregnum and they kind of just fold into society because nobody really remembers what they are and then they show up in like a blaze of glory and fix some problems but generally they support the cause of egalitarianism and democracy wherever they happen to exist and then in the Resurgence War, they sided with the nobles, who are feudalists. And you're just kind of left going, well, these two things don't line up at all. I have a hard time with Skaha because their intro is an interregnum story, and it's legitimately good. Like, it provides a really good, like, narrative example of like what went on during the interregnum because on the one side you have this skaha knight who is a french resistance fighter and on the other side you have this nazi red cap who is a nazi red cap and like you can have this whole messy picture about how this historical event was good for some of the fae and bad for some of the other fae and none of that is reflected in skaha's actual interregnum write-up and the feeling I get about everything I read about the Interregnum was missed opportunity. Even in the Player's Guide, the Nunahi write-ups for this are a missed opportunity because they shy away from ever really confronting what Manifest Destiny and colonialism did to the indigenous people of North America, and that leaves no history to be dealt with. They're just ahistorical changelings like everybody else. I definitely ran into some of that as well. They try to deal with the Nunyahi a little bit in 
the Fool's Luck Interregnum write-up, and I have to admit I was not a fan. I'm used to seeing one of two takes on the Nunyahi. I'm used to either seeing, like, hardcore Cathayna's colonialist villain, the Island Ed chapter of the first book of Houses, where it's like, it's our point of view, but we're going to make this gross to read, and you're supposed to take it as gross to read. Okay, I can get behind that. Or the sort of, like, soppy, ileal approach, which is, well, yeah, we screwed them over real bad, and we should really... We're wrong. We were wrong. We were very wrong. I don't love that write-up, because it doesn't do much, but it at least acknowledges the dynamic. The stuff I saw in the interregnum section, especially in Book of Commoners... Just sort of went, oh yeah, colonialism. The Nunihi had every right to protect themselves, of course. But like, meh, not my problem. And like, it wasn't, we're the villain. And that's clearly not the framing of that book. And it wasn't, we're responsible for this. Maybe we should do something in the moment to like, make it better moving forward. It just shrugged at the whole thing. And in a rare moment, I really wish it had been left out entirely kind of does speak to what happened with indigenous cultures during this period of time. There are a couple exceptions to that, but largely. But it just felt like I didn't understand why the author took the time to write it, other than to just feel kind of like, meh. So that's kind of what the canon has to say about the history from the perspective of commoners as a kith and the she as a kith and how dreaming uh, didn't have an appropriate perspective to handle the Nunyahi. Did you find anything in the individual Kith books that was like inspiring or at least interesting? Like I imagine the knockers at least must have a lot to say about the rise of industrialism and like tinkering and invention, right? They do. I would say the interregnum write-ups in the Kith books, and I have to admit, I didn't get through all of them. I did read Knocker, and Knockers do have a lot to say about the Industrial Revolution, and so do the Boggins. It's interesting, actually, the way those two Kiths dealt with that period of time. The Boggins were more engaged with it than you'd expect, but... The thing about the individual Kith books and the Interregnum is they all seem to be written from the point of view of which stories did we thrive during? Where were the moments where we really came into our own? The Seder Kith book had a decent write-up on like the lead up to the resurgence when you're still in the interregnum and you know free love and and those dynamics they, they had a whole art piece devoted to that aesthetic and there was a a hunk of text right before you get to the resurgence about that the knockers dealt pretty decently with the industrial revolution and how much they loved that but they all paint a very narrow picture the Slua book also did a pretty decent job with the Interregnum and talking about where there were periods of time that the Slua really thrived. You don't ever get a full picture, though. 
Like I wouldn't say there was any text in any of those sections that would actually tell you what did a freehold during this period of time look like if I'm traveling from city to city, which for certain parts of the interregnum, say the Great Depression, when you're riding the rails, would have been very common, would I have even known what to expect? You know, what were the cultural clashes when people traveled and there was no centralized government? Those sorts of questions are, aren't dealt with, but you can get a pretty good lens on a particular character's experience. So I would say if you have a storyteller that says, I want to run an interregnum game, here's the year, here's the place, they give you some themes, and you went out and you grabbed the Kith book for whatever the Kith is you want to play, you have a decent chance of being able to find some personal character inspiration. But you're not necessarily going to get any insight into what changeling society overall looked like at that moment in time, that's going to be totally up to your storyteller to fill in. I guess we should talk about filling that in. One of the most interesting thoughts I've had on the topic is, well, interesting to me anyway, is that Changeling the Dreaming is a post-apocalyptic game. It's just not post-apocalyptic in the sense we're used to thinking about it. The Shattering was the apocalypse. Their world ended in the Shattering in like a really meaningful way because before the Sundering and the Shattering, there was a Gestalt world where dream and physicality like coexisted. That's the time of Legends. Even in Exalted, if you want to use that as prequel material, it is very clear you walk far enough away from the center of the world and you are in the wild. Like, there's, there is no actual boundary there. There's nothing stopping you the way there is in the modern world where you have to have trods into the dreaming. And even in the Sundering world, like, there were places you could walk from the real world into the dreaming. But once the shattering hit and all the portals started slamming shut and disintegrating, the changelings who were left on Earth existed in a world where there was no dreaming. Like, their only contact with the dreaming was probably epiphany if they were lucky or a freehold if they were extremely lucky and the idea that freeholds might have still had trods that connected to other freeholds isn't ever i think explicitly ruled out but the idea that they had trods into even the near dreaming seems pretty unlikely based on the way all of the interregnum narrative and explanation makes it sound so bleak. So they're existing in this broken post-apocalyptic world during the interregnum. And I mean, as a storyteller, that's the kind of thing I live for. I would agree with that. I think that some of the lack of, of definition around the interregnum was White Wolf didn't necessarily know what to do with the interregnum because the other games, you can just go backwards in time and play the game. Mage has a bit of a limit. You do hit a point where the dynamics they're dealing with kind of disappear and there isn't paradox or anything even vaguely like paradox. 
for similar reasons that Changeling has a limit, but it's a lot farther back. And with Vampire, Werewolf, and Wraith, you can just go back and back and back and back and back and use the same rules, and it plays fine. Vampire Dark Ages proved that. That's not true with Changeling. I mean, how do you run Changeling in a world with no freeholds? Or next to no freeholds? How do you run Changeling without the She or the Parliament of Dreams or any of the title infrastructure that, honestly... You know, I'm not a huge fan of playing those stories, but a lot of people are. It's a big part of the game. And I think there was just a, a view that, like, how do we even paint this picture? Kronos didn't exist. Sovereign didn't exist. Naming didn't exist. The time realm didn't exist. What are you left with? You know, thinking from that kind of first, second ed mindset. And it's tricky but at the same time the themes are so thrilling and simon and i have both at this point at different times and with different systems run a long form interregnum game i think we did our games pretty differently but you know when you went through that process what did you find really worked for telling stories in this setting so in my interregnum game we had a very mixed group of primarily Nunahi with some inanime. And then I think we had one or two Kithane at the start and we lost them <laughs> as we moved on. But having those outsider characters changed the dynamics because uh, I was dealing with a very localized game and that's just kind of the way I do games where it tends to be about a setting rather than it is about, you know, some grand world changing plot, like the world changes and you react to it in a more meaningful kind of like character driven story. And that was what we were dealing with. The game was long. The start of my notes was around 1890 and the game kind of came to a, uh, a stuttering halt at around 1910. And there's a lot of social upheaval in that period, especially in northern Minnesota, which is where I set the game. And I think from that experience, and it might just be my own biases about what I find interesting, but I think that's kind of the approach to take with interregnum material. As much as I hate regional source books, it's hard hard to contextualize the Fae without being intensely regional. You have to be able to look at, especially in the C20 world, you know, what's good for a Boggan might be bad for a Knocker, and what's good for a group of Ojibwe spirit people might be intensely bad for the Kithane, or vice versa. And in order to know what those things are, you have to know what was going on at the time in the place. Because before instantaneous worldwide communication, place was everything. I would definitely agree with that. My interregnum game was a little bit different. It was set during the Great Depression, and I started out telling everyone, make a hobo. You know, write a hobo character. You're writing the rails. And... Uh, I gave them a tiny fluttering bale fire, like a glamour or two a week for the whole motley, and it was a large motley. 
we went from place to place, and every place would be a story in the Chronicle. I have a terrible habit of getting bored with a setting and wanting to do a new setting and wanting to do research on, you know, some new thing. So I do tend to have traveling games. I do that a lot with my long chronicles. And it worked out really well. I found that what worked was to create a completely different kind of local set of challenges. And the Motley had an ongoing quest that was pulling them across the nation, but the quest was really just kind of a excuse to get them into these local stories. It was really interesting just being like, let's totally reinvent Changeling society every time we go to a new area. I went into an area with a really blown out, over-the-top powerful Thimble Spring, which is something that's out on our blog that Simon wrote out, where changeling society really didn't exist because the whole area was defined by this old broken fairies madness and then i had a story in chicago and it got to be kind of about like post-mob dynamics and having a very different like seely unseely truce allegiance and then the next story was all about the tension between two cities that were connected and like weird familial relationships between some of the fairies. And now I have them out in San Francisco and it's, you can feel like the beginnings of the dream that will become the Accordance War in three decades. They're there like a year before the Golden Gate Bridge was open so they can see it being built and getting to really touch on the themes of like, the hidden dreams that couldn't fully manifest yet in that moment. You know, it's set in this moment in time after the New Deal was passed, but before it was implemented, and we've played around with that sort of thing. But everything does end up being really, really local, and I like that a lot. It's the sort of thing that both makes me nervous about the idea of having more canon interregnum, because I feel like it might collapse some of those potentials into the word count we could fit in a book, but also wishing that existed so more people felt invited to play in this kind of setting. One of the questions you have to answer when you're dealing with an interregnum game, in a way you don't really deal with in a modern game, is like what the power level is. Because, you know, the interregnum is meant to be this long long winter maybe the last winter like we don't even know if it's ever going to end barring some prophecy i suppose but you have to sit down and as a storyteller think about like how many dreamers are there in this area like is there a reason for them to be there who are their dreams compatible with if anyone in the player group because changelings are so intensely tied to dreams and culture there's a really good space there to take a look at cultural developments and shifts and that requires a very careful eye in a lot of cases and i just don't feel like for a lot of storytellers and a lot of players like that's not fun and I don't really know how to make people think that's fun other than having source books for it, you know? 
where it's already done. <laughs> I guess for me, what I wish existed for the Interregnum was something a little bit like the Dark Eras book or books for Chronicles of Darkness, where they have these two books they've released and every chapter is a particular time period paired with a particular game in the Chronicles of Darkness line. Now, the Dark Eras books are huge and they provide content for eight games, nine games. I forget how many different games they're covering now. And that is way beyond the scope of what the Interregnum would need. The Interregnum only needs to cover five, six hundred years, maybe seven hundred, depending on which outbreak of the Black Death you decide is the, the shattering for your particular game. But that idea of here's a location and a time and we're going to dig in and be like, what is the dream dynamic in this place? What is the dream dynamic in 1540 Venice after the church has come in and done their inquisition, after the shattering is done, but only just barely? And what does it mean to try to eke by an existence there as opposed to, you know, we're going to do a book on the West Coast of the United States during the Great Depression and deal with the people coming out here to log and grinding themselves to death and the hobo camps and, but also Hollywood and what that gave to people at the time. There are a bunch of other times that you could pluck and use there you know, high Victorian England and all the labor movements and what would that mean for like red caps or even boggins who are very tied up in labor and wanting to be respected or maybe wanting to be traditional and not make waves. There are a lot of stories you could tell there. You could also go much more traditional fairy in this time period still, especially the first half of the interregnum in Europe. You could still do that. And, you know, see, still trying to grasp at keeping that old belief alive. But I think it would need to be a bunch of different things that were intentionally different with some text that said any other split second moment in time and place in the interregnum is going to be as different as these chapters are from each other. And like invite that. So how do you see that playing in with Changeling's somewhat unique problem of continually having different systems. Like, I know how I answered that question, and that was to pick the system I found the most flexible, and that happened to not be modern dreaming. That was Dark Ages Fey. But when you get into a game where the entire system is completely different depending on the time period, and sometimes the creature you're using as a player character it feels like that's a really big rabbit hole that you could potentially fall down and never really come out of yeah i think i have two different answers to that question i think the first answer to that question is from a narrative standpoint how do you tackle system and there's a big question mark about is dark ages fey a prequel to changeling C20 has been written from the point of view that it is when Dark Ages Fae was originally written. You know, the lead developer has been quite public that, yes, he wrote it with that in mind. A lot of players don't feel that way about it. And, you know, we've talked that 
to death, but if you want Dark Ages Fae to be the prequel and you're tackling this at your own table, I think you have to decide how did these things transition and do I want to be early enough in the interregnum that some of those Dark Ages Fae dynamics aren't forgotten yet because the way Dark Ages Fae is written, it's very clear you're in the final battles before the shattering because there's all this stuff in that book about the sudden change that is coming and the fairy oracles can see that it's going to happen, but they can't see what it is. And they're very clearly talking about shattering. So the idea that, oh, well, the shattering happened. We all use arts and realms now. Mm. Not likely. So you have to decide, is that a story you want to tell? It wouldn't be that difficult to say that losing all of that and having it sort of condensed down into mostly the arts and realms we know in Changeling happens over a hundred years or so. It could take longer if you want it to, but if you wanted to say, tell a story about that through remembrance, but for game balance sake, we're going to use C20 because it's what I know and it's what I'm comfortable with. I think you could set it 1600s on and you wouldn't really be stretching things too much. The thing that I'll say, having now run a year and a half long interregnum game with the C20 rules as written, I'm a little stingy with glamour, but that's about the only change that I made mostly just because I didn't want to teach everyone an ad hoc set of rules as I went. And I wasn't playing with a lot of very experienced changeling players you do kind of have to tweak the rules a little bit if you want all the themes of the interregnum to come through. If I had it to do over, I probably would not have allowed C20 unleashing. With different players, maybe it would be fine. My players have not used unleashing in a way that taps the desperation of the interregnum. They have used unleashing in a way that taps the tendency of power gamers. <laughs> um... And I've kind of had to wrangle with that a little bit. I thankfully talked them out of that, but my second story just blew up because of that. You know, I think, yeah, from your own table, I think it, it can be complicated, but it's only as complicated as you choose to let it be. It's pretty easy to, to say, no, we're not, I'm not doing that. We want to play a game and I want to have a setting, but like, I want the reliability of published rules. I think from a product standpoint like if i weren't talking about an individual person who can golden rule whatever they need to like what would i want to see in in that sort of multi-setting interregnum book i just described i think i would want a book that presented each setting and then sort of presented is this a dark ages fey setting is this a c20 setting or is this a maybe both setting from a rules standpoint? But do it in a way that's spelled out for someone who picks the book up. So maybe you do that Venetian setting. And there's a little page that says, this setting is written with the expectation that you're going to use the Dark Ages Fae rules. Here are a couple recommended modifications to kind of set the mood and invoke the themes that magic is losing its dynamism. So Dark Ages Fae, but maybe you can't unleash to learn a new art. Like maybe you have to go out and really learn arts, and that's 
only happened in the last couple of decades and it's new and terrifying and it's a thing that impacts changeling society so you make it an in-world narrative thing as well as you know a system but then maybe that you know dust bowl game i described we're 30 years from the resurgence 34 years in the exact like year i'd set my game you're using c20 rules maybe unleashing doesn't come back till the resurgence and it says you know if you want to make this a really restrained claustrophobic game don't allow unleashing here are recommendations for how frequent freeholds should be maybe holding costs triple you know a couple very discrete modifications that invoke theme but if you have something in the 1700s maybe there's a recommendation for how you merge the two you could be really ambitious and actually write up a merge system or you could say any individual fairy is going to use one of these two systems we're not going to actually like mush this up for you here's how you could reconcile combat between a, a more modern changeling and a, a lingering dark ages fae that hasn't quite become lost yet i think there's an interesting pitch for that as long as the person developing it was very disciplined about not over developing it and again that's just about making it accessible to a new person picking the book up there are a few places where the needs of moving from that like whatever the fae were before they were changelings to what they are now as changelings narrative requires a little bit of imagination one of the questions i find most interesting about the first couple of generations of changelings is the potential of discovering that they reincarnate and discovering that like remembrance is a thing because unless you're going with the line that they sometimes use in dreaming where the changeling wave predates the shattering and that some perverts have done this before generally like it wouldn't be known entirely what the outcome of the changeling wave ritual is and that first death for changelings would be terrifying like assume you have you know a, a highly traditionalist freehold where some arcadian she stuck behind for god knows what reason and they have a bunch of changeling commoners now and the lord or, or the lady dies and they die because they're arcadian and they stay dead all of the commoners are suddenly confronted with their own mortality and then 30 40 years one of them reincarnates and then another one reincarnates and another one reincarnates and all of them have some kind of spotty remembrance and like it subverts the whole like fear of death narrative in a way that it doesn't really get away from the fear of death because you know remembrance even with five dots of remembrance like you're not the same person you just have their memories and like what does society look like when everybody's assuming that like this is it we're all dead whenever our human bodies die and then the repercussions rippling through society of well we're not dead i guess but we're also what does any of this mean and the development of the arts the development of the realms like all of these inventions are completely unaddressed in the uh, official interregnum narrative 
because the Arcadians come back with arts and realms, and why do they have them? We don't know. It's just it's just the way the Fae are, obviously. Like, these are just the things we've always done, and it's the theme for this episode, I guess. Missed opportunities. <laughs> well, and the Arcadians coming back brings up a topic about the Interregnum that we really need to tackle, and that is... Did anything written in any of the Changeling books about the Interregnum actually happen? You know, we always kind of have the conversation about Misty Remembrance, and especially like the Mythic Age, it's very, very intense, and it's very much implied that this is a narrative that's shifted over time that is sort of symbolically representative of something like it that maybe happened at some point. Okay, it's also the Mythic Age, and that's not all that impactful, if you're talking about the Interregnum, though, it could be very impactful because there was a war that happened right after the Resurgence that was about taking back power and control. But what is power and control to the Fae? It's identity and names and story and narrative. And, you know, there's a lot of weird stuff going on with the Nunyahi and the Inanime, you know, one of the things that we haven't brought up, Simon mentioned having Inanime in his Interregnum game, I have Inanime in my Interregnum game, because the Interregnum story for the Inanime isn't useful, and the Interregnum story for the Inanime is, we were asleep, y'all, thanks. That's the whole story. So, I mean, there are tidbits in a couple of the books that imply that true reshaping really does happen in Changeling without going back to sort of Dark Ages Fae or Exalted. It is hinted in a couple of the books, especially the books of houses, it shows up occasionally. And if you take naming Tailcraft, really naming and Tailcraft especially, to their ultimate extreme and you apply massive amounts of scene and high levels of naming and being able to reshape the identity of a place, of a person, of a thing, and you think about the rush of power the Shi'ir described as having, you know, at the resurgence, we've talked about this before, maybe a lot of what happened is when they came back, they just rewrote history for the Fae. Maybe they can do that, or at least they could in that societal chrysalis moment. But if that's a thing that happened... And you do want to set a game in the Interregnum. How do you invoke that? You know, how do you play around with screwing with player expectations and creating smoky, shifting mirrors of what was described in the Interregnum? So a player might recognize it, but be like, oh, oh, it's not, oh, cool, but I get it. That's a tall order, but kind of one of the coolest things about playing in this setting. Is that something you ever tried to tackle in your campaign, Simon? Now, I never tried to do that explicitly. I had a couple of characters who were in anime who were reflections of the way people view Lake Superior, because northern Minnesota, the Iron Range, Lake Superior, all that. And one of them is the horrible, devouring protector of Lake Superior that 
the Ojibwe saw when they looked at Lake Superior. And the other one was the tamed avenue for shipping that occasionally just ate boats that white people and industrialists in particular saw when they looked at Lake Superior. And both of these in anime existed at the same time in the same place, but they only ever showed themselves to the people who looked at the lake and saw them, which I thought was uh, an interesting sort of thing. But no, I never really tried to do that kind of like, you remember, you remember this, but you also know this sort of thing that I think you're talking about. Yeah, I think it's a hard needle to thread. There are a lot of themes in Changeling, and I think especially around the Interregnum, that would be great in structured fiction, but are hard to juggle at a role-playing table. It's kind of tricky to play through that stuff. But yeah, that's kind of the Interregnum, really. You end up with a lot of white space to work with. Even if you go and dig and dig and dig in the canon materials, there's not a whole lot there. It's just a lot of the same stuff over and over and over again from very slightly different angles because White Wolf kind of shied away from dealing with what the Fae would have been up to in the Interregnum, I think. Like, the house books have little hints. Some of them make sense. The Kith books all have their own ideas. They're different levels of compelling, I think, kind of like the house books. But there's never any solid guidance, which is the sort of thing I live for, but it is hard to deal with. Yeah, and I really wish there were some of that guidance. I mean, this is the kind of white space that my headcanon for Liam came out of. My headcanon for Liam is that their connection with the church isn't their mythic creation story. That's the story they told themselves because a narrative needs to believe it exists for reasons within the story. It can't as part of the story, you can't say, well, the author wrote this because they were trying to accomplish this end. And my headcanon for the Liam is that as a house, they basically did that, where the baptism was totally toxic for the Fae. And shortly before the shattering, but then also through the shattering, the real reason they stayed behind was they were absolutely determined to undo the power of the baptism. And I think there are some really interesting stories about the Anabaptists, about the siege on, you know, Munster, on the fight from certain Protestant groups to say, no, you shouldn't be baptized till you're an adult and you can engage with it knowingly, which gets rid of baptizing the little changeling child, and by the time I'm an adult, I will have gone through chrysalis, and I will know to be like, thanks, bye, and run away. And depending on when in the interregnum is, you know, you might be hunted as a witch, but it gives you a way out. It was one step towards breaking 
that weapon. And the Liam had to totally subsume themselves into the story of the church to get close enough to do that. And it changed them. And it changed everyone else's memories of them. And I think that's really fascinating. Or their house founder could have just had the hots for a nun and had an unfortunate run-in. I mean, that that works too, I guess. Um, <laughs> you know, I I feel like the white space is really inviting, but it's a tall order for most gamers. So those were some of our thoughts on the interregnum. A lot of that, obviously, are our ponderings as opposed to really solid canon, as there is not a lot of really solid canon if you're interested in the Interregnum and you have a favorite kith, I really recommend looking at what their kith book has to say about the Interregnum for story character ideas. And I really recommend looking at what's in Fool's Luck. But beyond those two resources, you're not going to find a ton of information. All of that said, I hope you gleaned something useful out of this and some of our ideas about how to make use of the Interregnum. And I hope that you come and listen to our next conversation.